Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of CCT Live, the Cape Cod Times Live Facebook news broadcast brought to you every Thursday at nine o'clock in the morning. I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy, and I'm joined today by reporter Christine Legere for the first time. We're, we're glad to have her on CCT Live for the first time. She does a lot of reporting, and it's, a, it's about time, I guess. Um, she covers the town of Falmouth, the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station, marijuana, uh, medical and recreational, uh, as well as just about anything else we throw at her at this point. Uh, she's going to be talking today about a Falmouth hotel pool where there was a near, near drowning uh, recently. It's actually one of a few near drownings or, or potential drownings that have occurred. It's the start of the summer season. Uh, these things are obviously uh, upsetting, but, uh, but do happen, and we're trying to figure out uh, why in some cases. Uh, she's also going to talk about the big story of the week, which is a protest of a planned uh, rehab facility in Falmouth. And we'll also talk about a couple different animal releases on Cape Cod. We love our animals, and they love you know, rehabbing them, putting them back, in some cases, endangered species. Uh, we'll talk about a beetle and a turtle release this week. Uh, and we'll look ahead at another animal species that's uh, coming back to the Cape once again this year, uh, sharks, which everybody always is interested in hearing about. Uh, you can take a look back at past episodes online at capecodtimes.com and check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, plenty to get to, so uh, we'll jump right in here. And uh, the first story we're going to talk about is a near drowning that occurred uh, almost a week ago, it was Friday of last week, at a hotel pool in, in Falmouth. Uh, where was this, Christine, and, and what do we know so far about what happened there? Well, it was the Seacrest Beach Hotel, and um, we know that a seven-year-old was found at the bottom of a pool last Friday afternoon. He was, the two factors really helped out there. Somebody on the side who had just kind of chatted with, with the boy earlier, uh, happened to get a little hot and sleepy and thought he'd go in for a dive. And when he did, he swam right over the child who was at the bottom of the deep end. He took him to the top, and there was a nursing convention going on at the hotel. So there were plenty of people who offered CPR and uh, kept that child who was unconscious and not breathing when he was first brought up, uh, you know, at least savable. He was eventually brought to Mass General, and his father on Tuesday posted on Facebook that uh, he was going to be released from the hospital that day, so that he appears to have been, very, you know, came out fine after a really close call. But anytime these sorts of things happen, of course, it raises questions about safety uh, at pools, and we've done a lot of stories over the years about uh, safety at pools, lifeguards, regulations. Uh, what are the rules? In, this is in Falmouth. What are the rules there? And and what did uh, you know? People find out. Officials find out. What are you finding out about? You know how how things were handled there. Well, uh, Seacrest had complied with a number of rules. They had the hardwired phone right in the pool area, which uh, the Board of Health, when they voted new regulations in February, had put that in. Uh, water clarity apparently was good, but certainly not perfect. One of the unknowns is how many kids were in the pool or how many people in general because 
the rule of thumb, and I think it's part of the state regulations, is it's supposed to be 25 per one lifeguard. How the capacity of this particular pool is something we'll still be looking at. That's the one factor that remains kind of an unknown. Um, they did not have floats in which are required to warn of the deep end of the pool, which is where this child was found and he was seven years old. So, so this is a line separating the deep end from the shallow end. Yes. Everybody will, if it's been in a public or semi-public pool, will will notice this line that has floats on it going across the middle of the pool. Yes. And the hotel had the, them in their possession, but they didn't have them in either their indoor pool or outdoor pool maybe because it's crowded and it's easier without it, who knows, but they were not in place and that would definitely have been some factor. The uh, state health inspectors went there on Monday and they'll report probably by Friday, but by then the deficiencies had already been addressed. So I so don't know what they'll come up with. Something like the, whether the water clarity could be improved, the floats being down the middle no, of the I'm pool. I'm sure they were in it. Yeah. Um, but, and you mentioned lifeguards, not a uh, a requirement at Falmouth pools or semi-public pools at this no, point. No, they talked about it at length after a child drowned last fall. And um, the pool owners, the semi-public pool owners, mostly hotels, uh, came in and just said that not only was it too expensive, they just weren't enough lifeguards around to even staff it that way. So in the end, they didn't require that. They required locks high up on the gates so that kids, you know, younger kids couldn't get in unsupervised. Uh, they made it a requirement that an adult couldn't watch more than five kids at a time. And in this particular case, it was a grandmother who was watching her friend's child who was in the deep end, the seven-year-old Jonah, and her granddaughter, who was in the shallow end, which would be kind of a tricky thing to do. Yeah, and, and two sides of the pool there. And again, it's not Falmouth's not alone in not requiring lifeguards. The only town on the Cape that does require lifeguards is uh, Barnstable, and that's only for hotels of a certain size. If yeah, I, I think it's it. over seventy-five rooms. Seventy-five rooms. So obviously, again, the start of the summer season, plenty of people going in the water. Um, we had another uh, near drowning at Cubbles uh, Beach uh, just the other day. I think on Tuesday. Um, and there's more on that story in, in uh, the newspaper. And, and there was a, a man's body who was pulled from uh, Cape Cod Canal. So whether it's the ocean, whether it's Cape Cod Canal, whether it's pools, obviously a lot of safety considerations. And uh, check Christine's story on, on the Falmouth pool in yesterday's paper. And, and I think a story earlier in the week as well for more information on that. Um, so again, animal releases, they happen on the Cape, you know, whether it's seals or it's uh, birds that are coming in and getting rehabbed. There was a, a little bit of an unusual one out on Nantucket because this wasn't animals that had been brought in to be rehabbed. This is a species of beetle uh, that they're trying to reintroduce to the island. It's the American burying beetle. Um, and I, I just personally like stories like this. They're sciencey. They're they're interesting. For some people, they may be a little creepy because in this case, uh, in order for these beetles to thrive, they need a, a food source. And to reintroduce them, there's an interesting way that they have to go about doing it to make sure that they have that food source. This was out on the the island. Have you ever seen an American burying beetle, Christine, in your trap owls? No, 
<laughs> no, there are these little cork-sized cork uh, beetles. I think they're uh, black and red. Um, and people may ask the question, and certainly we do whenever we do these stories of like, what does it matter uh, if this beetle exists or not? And, and this beetle once, uh, the species was once found across the country. Uh, the only uh, place on the East Coast with a natural population right now is Block Island in Rhode Island. Um, so they're using Nantucket as potentially another place to get them going again. There's some people who are really passionate about this beetle. The, the good thing I guess this beetle does is it decomposes things. It goes and eats carrion and, and things that are out there that would otherwise be sitting there and kind of is a cleaner of the area. Um, and to, to reintroduce this, they had to dig some holes. It, remember what they had to do in terms of sticking the birds in the, in the holes? They did. They took dead quail and put them in just to get the the thing going and I guess uh, 50 pairs of them were, were buried plus a couple of uh, single males. Oh, I didn't even know about yeah, the single males. So they put they them did. out there to kind of just roam around and hit I on the females, so. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the idea is you, you put these, these pairs in a hole and in basically a hole next to them or in a cavity, like cavity next to them, you put this dead quail. They mate, they produce their young, and then the family can feast on that that animal and, and obviously uh, survive from there. They've been trying to reintroduce this species, uh, I think, for a while on Nantucket. Back in 2006 was the last time they tried to mm -hmm. do that. Um, and it's part of a five-year uh, reintroduction period that this is the first year of where the population had started to, they started to become concerned about the population, which is only, it was only a couple hundred. And I can't imagine going out and trying to find these I beetles know. and count them one beetle, two beetles, especially when they're in the ground for the most part. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's gotta be difficult. So, uh, there was a number of conservation organizations. Our reporter, Ethan Genter went out there. Um, and there are some, uh, great photos by Marilee uh, Cassidy and, uh, everybody can take a look and find out more about, uh, this, uh, reintroduction. Um, it, it is, it does sound like it's a, a tough, road to hoe because they they lose about 75 percent over the winter so you can imagine mm -hmm. putting these beetles out there hoping they're going to survive and then uh losing uh most of them during the winter that's got to yeah. be frustrating um but but again an introduction interesting reintroduction uh, effort there um animals that don't need to be reintroduced at this point but but do find some difficulty uh, around the cape and islands are uh, sea turtles have you ever seen a sea turtle in the wild uh, no, actually, I haven't. It's 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 interesting. I, I've been on a boat where you kind of pass near them, and they hopefully scoot to the bottom. And that's one of these issues: is they're also sometimes kind of near the surface, and boats go winging by yeah. and hit them. Uh, entanglement and fishing gear is another big problem. Uh, loggerhead uh, sea turtles, I think one of six species of sea turtles, uh, are one of the ones that come around here to the Cape. And a lot of times, these turtles come uh, through and get hooked by uh, Cape Cod because the way they arm shaped, everybody who loves doing this and pointing out how the Cape is shaped, they're trying to go south and they get caught in here looking for jellyfish oh. or doing whatever they're doing. Um, and then the winter hits and what happens in the winter, it gets cold. They're uh, a species that uh, their, their body temperature is kind of regulated by the waters around them. And so they become cold and uh, then they, they become cold stunned. Have we, have we ever sent you out on a story about cold stunned sea turtles? I haven't, but I've certainly followed Doug on many of his. <laughs> Doug Frazier certainly, <laughs> certainly does do it. And, and uh, there's a, a process. Uh, I think we've sent him to Florida to follow them uh, yes. for the most part, um, uh, which is a lot of times what they do is they'll, they'll take them, they'll rehab them for a short time here, 
and then they'll put them on either a plane or in, you know, I don't think they, I, don't, I think they usually put them on planes. I think the Coast Guard helps out sometimes yeah. and does it, uses that as training exercise going down to Florida where they'll release them there. It's unusual in some respects for them to release them uh, here. Uh, and, but that did happen on uh, Monday. Uh, they took five loggerhead sea turtles and they had rehabbed them over the last seven months. These are uh, a little larger than, say, the green or Kemp's Ridley sea turtles that you may see out there. Um, and so they took five of those, took them to West Dennis Beach. And after, again, months of, of feeding them and they were recovering from pneumonia. And when these animals come in, they're sometimes like they seem dead. They're just, they're just mm. you know, uh, immobile. They're not moving. One of them came in without a pulse. And, and a lot of yeah. times I think people find them and think they are dead. But once you kind of get them, get them into a rehab facility, in this case, the New England uh, Aquarium uh, Care Center, Animal Care Center in Quincy, you can slowly over time start to bring them back uh, to life, essentially. And uh, these turtles were really kicking when they got to the beach. And you can imagine being a turtle and, you know, all of a sudden <laughs> you're back on the beach and you're excited and your flippers are going and, and you get to get back out there. They release them at this time of year because uh, it's the time of year where the other sea turtles are migrating back to oh. our area. And the idea is, you know, they're kind of out there with, with when they naturally right. would be out there. Um, but it's also a time of year where, again, uh, Mass Audubon and the like are saying boaters need to slow down, need to keep their eyes out. So if you're out there yes. boating, Christine, watch out for sea turtles. They're, they're everywhere. So uh, that's, a, that's a, again, a good story with some good photos. Um, and then we're going to move right to the to kind of the big story of the week. And this has been a couple of weeks of this that you've been covering this. Yes. Um, it's about a rehab facility planned in Falmouth. Um, what's, what's this facility uh, for and what are people's concerns about it? Well, Gosnold, uh, which now operates a treatment facility on Terhune Drive in Falmouth, uh, wants to expand, and it's got the perfect building to do that in. It's a nursing home that's been closed for a couple of years. Uh, they can nearly double the beds so that the number of people they can treat, and they were going to add a special unit for people that they call dual diagnosis who have mental health problems as well as addiction issues, which is really common. And, and again, this is, Gosnell treats people for addiction issues yes. for the most part. I mean, they do a that's lot of pretty things. Much, that, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what this whole thing is about. So the, um, the hospital itself, the facility is perfect as far as Gosnell is concerned. And uh, it's next to a school. It's 80 feet away. That's been what has caused this huge backlash from the public that I think Gosnold was surprised at. They didn't quite expect it. They held an information meeting um, maybe three weeks ago, and 100 people turned out who were not happy. And now you have 60 families saying they would actually pull their children from the school as a fifth and sixth grade school next door. This is Morris Pond uh, Morris Elementary Pond School. Morris Pond Elementary, elementary yeah. They, they, they would take them out by school choice and put them in other places, put them in private schools. So um, Gosnell does plan on, um, they are forming an advisory committee, which they say will include some of these concerned parents. parents. They tend to obviously connect with local police a lot more than they have. They were kind of still in the exploration stage, but their timetable is really aggressive. They actually expect to be open by January, and that's what has people really kind of wondering. They, they, all these rumors, they're going to skip the natural process of permitting, 
which Richard Kukuro, who is the president, said that is absolutely untrue. Mm -hmm. And there, there are there are a lot of uh, concerns that are being put out there. Obviously, Gosnold uh, wants to present their side of, of this story and, and allay some of those fears. It's in an atmosphere where, where obviously drug rehabilitation is something that a lot of people point to as something that has to be dealt with and has to be bolstered uh, when you have the opioid epidemic that's that's we're in the midst of um, people dying of overdoses. And at the same time, you have uh, not only these parents, but an, another uh, 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 senior living facility nearby where oh, they yeah. have concerns as well, yeah. um, all right in that area. And I think that the kind of geographic tightness of the whole thing. I mean, you go there, the driveway goes right next to the school playground and right up the street. And obviously parents think to themselves, well, what if somebody who's in the middle of uh, rehabilitation, you know, walks in or out of that facility and, and is deciding to shoot up or do some, some drugs, what are they going to do? They're going to do that near the school. Um, those are the concerns they're raising. Obviously, Gosnold is trying to say, Hey, we you know we have measures in place. I mean, what is Gosnold's general reaction to those types of concerns? Well, Richard Kukuro said to me this week that they've hired a special security consultant, and they intend to really beef it up so that they can assure the public that these uh, uses can coexist with the senior living and with the school. And again, you mentioned the 60 families. That is quite the lever uh, that these families have to try and uh, get yes. some action. When they say that they're going to remove 60 families, that's a financial hit to the school. It would be quite a financial hit because they get a lot of money for from the state for every child that goes to the school. And so losing that many, the people who were at the rally, I didn't check the statistics. They're saying it would be about a half a million dollars. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the rally. I mean, there was a an actual protest in front of Town Hall. It, it's it's interesting because we follow a lot of, uh, you know, types of developments and people show up to meetings. Certainly you mentioned that, that mm -hmm. a lot of people showed up to that first meeting. Um, but for people to actually get out on the street, make signs and, and, and bring their children out. I mean, there yeah. were people who were bringing their children out. Uh, talking about school lockdowns again in an atmosphere where you know school shootings and things of that nature are concerned that's taking it a step further in terms of a protest it's not just writing a you know uh, a letter to a board or, or something like that you're actually taking the time during your day to show up and, and rally outside of town hall to make your point um, that's that's kind of fascinating that, that that's how concerned people are really yes and I think too that um, the children are being, uh, you know, this fear is being uh, raised in them by their parents mm -hmm. so that it's going to have an impact. One way or the other. Yeah, these are, you know, 10-year-olds, and they're, they're, they're pretty scared. Yeah. So it's awful. And now the elderly behind, they are too. So there's going to be, there's there's already the this super emotional aspect that I think, again, Gosnold, they're factoring more on statistics, statistics, et cetera, yeah. relying on that and saying, listen, hey, we've been in town for, you know, four decades. We have a good record. Another thing, actually, that I hadn't mentioned in this story, but when I was talking to police chief Ed Dunn, well, he said he had a number of calls from concerned parents. He's still waiting for a formal meeting, which he has not yet had with Gosnell officials, but that the uh, school superintendent has asked him to meet with teachers and staff at um, Morse Pond School so he can explain the kinds of calls that they get 
to the current treatment to center, the current treatment center and yeah. what the they can expect what these teachers and staff members because some of them were out there at the rally too and they were at the information meeting they are nervous as well yeah as you said a a, a uh, number of concerns a number of different interest groups here uh, and and when you factor that all in it does become quite emotional um, and you know there are the facts but there's also again this this emotional uh, reaction and, and actually the police chief giving that information would probably be helpful for some people for some people it may not matter at this point their minds so. may be already made yeah. up so so we'll continue to follow that story you'll continue to follow that story and and everybody should follow uh, Christine's reporting uh, on that and all these other issues. Um, looking ahead, uh, we have um, maybe no surprise to folks who have been coming to the Cape for a long time. For locals uh, over the last 10 years, it's become more of a story than ever. Uh, sharks are, are returning to our waters. The great white sharks in particular are coming back. They come back every year. Um, our reporter, Doug Frazier, whether it's turtle guy or shark guy, whatever you want to call him, uh, has a couple of stories coming up uh, in the next couple of days about uh, one, a, a scientific study about where these sharks go further offshore and why they're going into certain areas, which is really, again, fascinating. It has to do with these eddies and pools of warm water. Um, and scientists have been using uh, these tracking devices to see where these sharks are going and what they're doing. And also kind of a look at, at where the sharks are already showing up around Cape Waters this year. Um, talking to uh, the shark researcher, main shark researcher for the state, Greg, Gregory Scomo on that one. So look ahead to those stories and, and follow along with all of Christine's reporting as well. Thank you very much for being with us, Christine. Really great to have you on for one of many appearances on CCT Live, I'm sure. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Tell your friends, share the link, and uh, feel free to reach out to any of us, Christine, myself, any of the other reporters with any news tips you have. All our uh, emails are available at capecottimes.com. Uh, we're where news starts on Cape Cod. Uh, thanks a lot. Until next week, good morning and good luck. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.